Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Can you hear me on the phone? I do. I've got you coming out of every orifice. <laughs> I'm really not. You're breaking off quite badly. Hello, and welcome to The Lock-In, where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be, the pub. For some reason, this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish. Oh, right. Where were we? I forgot. I have too. Now, we're locked in today with en Enric Sala, who is National Geographic's Explorer-in-Residence. Sounds a fantastic job. Well, it's kind of, the title is an oxymoron, right? Because explorers are supposed to be out there, not in residence. But yeah, it's a, a dream job. I, I get to do what I like the most, which is being out there in the ocean, uh, exploring, conducting research, filming, and helping to protect it. How much of your life do you spend in a wetsuit? Oof. After the COVID year, I would say not enough. <laughs> but probably about 5,000 about 5, 5, dives. 5,000 dives. That's a lot. That's a lot. But yeah, the last year I've been dreaming about going back. And some people on my team have been you know, seven, 10,000 hours underwater. So... Um, there are people out there who are crazier about diving than I am. Do you, what, when you look at the ocean, you know, most of us see it just from on top. Is it very different going underneath? Oh my, it's so different. It's as different as you know, if you were an alien coming to Earth and you saw a huge cloud cover, right? It would look all white. Uh, but then when you go under the clouds, then you can see all this diversity, mountains, deserts, rivers, lakes, cities. Same thing underwater. In the ocean, uh, the diversity of landscapes is as large or more as the land because over 70% of our planet is ocean. Where have you dived in the UK? I have dived only out of Tyree Island on the Inner Hebrides. And I loved it. Did the ocean seem in a good condition to you there? I didn't see many big fish, but the kelp forests were beautiful. And I was there with some friends in July when the, the big sharks 
aggregate to eat. There are these um, huge sharks that eat uh, plankton. Um, so they go around near the surface with the fin out, with the mouths open, just trying to filter as much water as possible. So that was one of the most amazing experiences I've had in the ocean. The basking sharks. You know, at the small scale, if you go to the Medas Islands in, in Catalonia, uh, this is, um, it's unbelievable. It's like the Mediterranean a thousand years ago. It's so many fish. The Cabo de Palos in, in Murcia, in southern Spain also. You go in the summer and there are dozens and dozens of huge groupers swimming around you. So in the Mediterranean, you can find extraordinary places. But then some of the my favorite places that are relatively easy to get to, you can go to the Cocos Island in Costa Rica or, or the Galapagos Islands, um, where, you know, in the Galapagos Islands, there is one place called Darwin Island. You can get there with a diving liveaboard. And, you know, we were diving and all of a sudden a school of 300 hammerhead sharks swam over us. It was absolutely fascinating. And I thought, oh, this is the best thing that ever happened in my life. And then I turned left and there is this 15 meter pregnant female whale shark, this massive thing bigger than a school bus, just swimming by and say, okay, I can die now. What is it about the ocean that so fascinates you? Well, I guess it all started when I was a little kid watching the documentaries of Jacques Cousteau on TV. And back then, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm 52 now. And back then we had two TV channels in, in Spain. And Sunday evenings, there was this mandatory rendezvous with Jacques Cousteau and the whole family was watching. And since I can remember, I was absolutely fascinated by those guys with the red caps and the cool wetsuits going on the Calypso around the world, exploring these unknown places and diving with sharks and seals, groupers, dolphins, whales. And that hooked me since I was very, very little. So, and I was also very lucky that I spent my summers in the Costa Brava in Catalonia with, with my parents. So that love from the ocean came from very early age. Has it changed hugely since then? Oh my God, we've lost so much since you and I were kids. So much. Uh, you no, know, 90% of the large fish in the ocean are gone. We've ate them in the last 100 years alone. There is a new study showing that in the last 30 years, we've lost three quarters of some shark species too. Coral reefs are dying because of global warming. The water is getting too warm for them. Um, we've seen so much degradation and decline because of our expanding footprint in the ocean, because of too much industrial fishing, too much bottom trolling, too much pollution, too much coastal development. Does it matter? Well, I would say it matters extremely because the ocean is part of our life support system. You know, the ocean produces over half of the oxygen that we breathe. You know, the oxygen is produced by microscopic algae and microbes and, and kelps in the ocean. So every other breath we take comes from the ocean. It gives us food. But if there are fewer tuna in the sea, in the sea for example, because we fish them all out, absolutely. how does that absolutely. matter? You know, tuna and the other large fish of the oceans are like the wolves or the lions 
of the land. They make sure that the ecosystem is well balanced. So what we have seen is that when you remove the large animals, be it whales or sharks, the ecosystem, the marine ecosystem starts to unravel and actually becomes less productive. And so we go from a world with clear water dominated by big animals to a world where the water is dominated by jellyfish and microbes. And why does that matter? Because without the ocean, there would be no ass, there would be no life on Earth. That is a very big claim to make. There would be no life on Earth if, there were, if it weren't for the oceans. That's uh, what the science is telling, and it's very clear. The ocean regulates the climate. It helps produce rain. It gives food for the main source of protein for over a billion and a half people. Uh, it produces uh, so many opportunities for medicine and recreation and research and, and commerce. Um, and we are treating the ocean like we had many of them. And that's one of the problems that we're doing, not just with the ocean, but with nature in general, which is that we are acting like we had two or three planets and we are already overdrafting from our natural capital. This is because we have too many people on Earth. It's a combination of how many people there are and how much every person uh, consumes our consumption of energy and food and land and, and ocean resources is, is excessive. If everybody had the footprint, the ecological footprint of a North American, of a US citizen, uh, you know, we would be toast already. But on average, the planet is using the resources that uh, 1.7 planets actually would be producing every year. It's like having a, a bank account where everybody withdraws and nobody makes a deposit. You don't need to be a banker to know what will happen to that bank account. So what do you suggest we do? We need to help nature help us. It's very simple. You know, we know that everything we need to survive depends on the work of other species. The oxygen we breathe, the clean water we drink, the food we eat, and we cannot replace what nature does for us for free. And, you know, when we talk about solving climate change, oh, it's great. You know, we can develop new technologies and replace fossil fuels. But still, we need to draw down all the excess carbon pollution that we have expelled into the atmosphere. And the technology we cannot create, it's already there. It's called trees and wetlands, mangroves, peatlands, kelp forests. Uh, so nature is the best ally to ha we have to prevent a, a global crisis. The problem is that we don't have enough wild left. So this is why we need to protect whatever wild is left and restore much of the lands and the ocean that we have degraded. Would you say that it's so important that it's worth some people losing their lives starving because there's no food for them, because they can't fish in the areas that are decreed to be special? Actually, the opposite is true, because today, less than 3% of the ocean is fully protected from fishing and other damaging activities. Yet, the fish catch from the ocean has been declining since the mid-90s. You know, we reached peak fish 25 years ago, and a new study shows that over three-quarters of the fish stocks are overfished, meaning we are taking them out of the water faster than they can reproduce. So... 
the biggest enemy of the people who depend on the ocean is not protected areas, it's overfishing. And we have been fishing too intensively for too long, like there was no, no tomorrow. So, but so, fishermen do it because there's a market. Yeah, there's a market, of course, but you know, we, the problem is that we have been taking fish of the ocean faster than they can reproduce, so there is no good future for fisheries or for the market, right? Fish farms are going to help pick up some of that uh, demand, but for the wild fish in the ocean and for the fishermen who depend on the fish for their livelihoods, the best solution is to protect key areas in the ocean so they can help replenish the rest so there is more fish for everybody to eat. It sounds counterintuitive, but you know it's very simple because I like to joke about this, but you know, when you don't kill the fish, they take a longer time to die and they reproduce more. And we know that the large females produce a disproportionately larger number of eggs. So if we create areas that are going to serve as replenishment areas, these marine reserves, these fish banks, they are going to ensure that there is going to be more fish for everybody to, to catch. You have these uh, phrases about keystone species. A keystone is the, is the stone that stops an arch collapsing, isn't it, at the top? What are, these, what, what are these keystone species? These are the species that bind the entire ecosystem together. Let me give you a, an example. So the coast of California, where I spent years working when I was um, in my former life as, as a university professor, there are these kelp forests, like the ones that you can find around... British waters, but larger. The giant kelps, they can be 100 feet tall and they create this canopy on, on the surface as, as they grow. They are like cathedrals underwater, a spectacular ecosystem that harbors so many species of invertebrates and fish. And the top predator in this ecosystem, one of the top predators is the sea otter, this very cute furry animal that loves to eat sea urchins in abalone. And you've probably seen those images where the sea otter is on the surface, um, floating on her back with a little stone on her belly and, and crushing a sea urchin and then eating it. So that thing there, the sea otter eating the sea urchin, is what keeps the kelp forest intact. If the sea otters disappear, like they did when the hunters killed them for their for their fur um, in, the, in, the last, in the 19th century, this, the sea urchins don't have their main predator anymore. So the sea urchin populations explode. And the sea urchins are like underwater lawnmowers. They eat all of the kelp. And they turn that complex, diverse, rich, productive ecosystem into a barren ground where nothing can live. That's why the sea otter in that particular ecosystem is the keystone that keeps the entire structure together. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. 
burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Could we identify these keystone species? Oh, absolutely. And we have for, for many ecosystems. And these are species... And these so are we species could protect those? A- they are mostly top predators. The species on top of the food chain like the wolves or the tigers, lions on the land and underwater, it could be the sea otter, it could be sharks. So these are the, mostly the large species that uh, ensure that everything below the entire architecture of nature continues to work. So it would be possible to protect these keystone species and thereby protect all the lesser species. Oh, absolutely. And this is exactly what um, we're trying to do with our work to create marine reserves, areas where there is no, no damaging activities. And we know that the larger these areas are, the, li- the higher the likelihood that the entire ecosystem is going to be restored. Um, the more space you give to these keystone species, the more likelihood is that they are going to be able to reproduce and, and sustain themselves over time but also is like an investment account. If we have these areas that are like a principle that we set aside and we don't touch, they grow with compound interest and they will produce returns, in this case, a spillover of fish that we can all enjoy. Can you settle something that I keep on having arguments with friends about? And it's simply this. In our rivers, and I, I appreciate you're basically a sea, a sea person, but in our rivers, if we release beavers, will it help the rivers or not? Absolutely. And this is something that we have seen everywhere. You know, I'm, I come from Catalonia in Spain, and there was huge reluctance to have beavers reintroduced. And as some people are having the, in the UK, but what we have seen is that when beavers are reintroduced to rivers, they bring back biodiversity. They help to reduce the risk of floods. You know, and in the United States, for example, you know that the, the West Coast has had these horrible wildfires for the last few years. And there, there, if you look at satellite photographs of um, the, the West, there are areas that are green around, you know, surrounded by, by what looks like Mordor, you know, this black charred earth. And these green areas are the areas around the beaver ponds, because not only the ponds are you know, water, but also the vegetation around the ponds are, are wetter. 
so they are more resistant to to the fire so there you go beavers can be um like an insurance for for a place they reduce the risk of floods they increase biodiversity they increase the abundance of fish and frogs uh, salamanders the birds that eat them and also they can be also like a fire insurance um now look eric i'm i'm a um i'm a salmon fisherman would the beavers be any good for them that's a question i don't know have you got any thoughts about fishing people i guess you think we're the enemy absolutely not you know i grew up fishing with my dad um I think you are a, a recreational angler, right? Yes. So when I was a kid with my dad, also we would go on the Costa Brava on the rocks with our telescopic uh, rods and try to cast the the hook with a little weight as far as possible to catch some brasses and sea brims. But I got I got bored after after a while, yeah. and uh, you know it's not as exciting as uh, fly fishing like you probably you probably do. Um, but I think the enemy of everybody is our over extraction, our over consumption. Um, you know, we just published, uh, our latest scientific research in the journal nature a month ago, and we came up with a new, a new model, a new framework to map in the ocean. What are the areas that we should be protect, not only for marine life, but also what are the areas that if fully protected, they would produce a spillover of fish that would exceed the foregone catch if these areas were protected. So actually, with our research, we're trying to find ways for the fishermen to do better without having to catch more. And that's the thing, right? And there is this, this impression that we need to go out and, and spend more hours at sea to catch more fish. That's a fallacy because the fish catch has been declining over time despite the increase in the effort. So we need to... Um, spend less hours at sea and fish around these areas that are protected so we will be able to catch the same amount of fish with less effort so everybody will benefit. People like me who just do it for fun are irrelevant really, aren't we? But people who make their living from fishing the sea, what are you going to get them to do instead? Well, that's a question that um, I am asked quite often, right? We, today, less than 3% of the ocean is fully protected from fishing, right? So 97% of the ocean is open to fishing, so there is no problem. The science suggests that we need to protect at least 30% of the ocean by 2030. If we want to save marine life, to have more fish to catch, and also to help uh, mitigate climate change, because we found also that uh, bottom trolling produces huge amounts of, of, of CO2 emissions. So we, we don't want to close, you know, we are not, nobody's saying that we need to close the entire ocean, right? We need to close, to, to set aside key areas of the ocean, a fraction of the fishing grounds to help replenish the rest. And some will say, well, yeah, but what are the fishermen going to do during this period, right? Because if you close 30% of the ocean, then they are going to get 30% less fish. Well, in some cases we have seen recovery of uh, the fisheries in, in only three years. You know, fishermen in the Solomon Islands catching seven times more clams only three years after creating a marine reserve. People in, in Kenya also doubling their income after only three years. 
the tuna, the big tuna fishermen of the Pacific, uh, in the Pacific Ocean, fishing now more and making more money fishing around the national marine monuments that uh, President Obama uh, expanded. So there is this small transition period that is the key. And this is where governments have a role to play because right now governments spend more time subsidizing the activities that destroy nature than investing in the protection of nature so these activities can thrive. So if we redirected subsidies that are harmful to, to fisheries, then we could finance that transition period until the fishermen reap the benefits of these protected areas. Look, government means taxpayers. So the poor old taxpayer is going to have to pay for all of this, are they? Well, the taxpayer is already paying for seafood, whether you're eating seafood or not. You know, globally, $35 billion are used to subsidize the fishing industry. And most of those subsidies go to subsidize fuel and enlargement of engines and boats and, and bottom trolling. So most of the taxpayers' money that goes to subsidize fishery goes to subsidize to perpetuate the destruction of the resources upon these people depend on. So it doesn't make any sense. So it would be better to use taxpayers' money to help regenerate that uh, the ocean so everybody would benefit. Do you personally eat seafood? Very, very rarely. Yeah, it's difficult, you know, because, well, first I know too much. Um, <laughs> and it's difficult, to, it's difficult to find species that are caught su truly sustainably. But also we have the issue of, of microplastics now uh, in the ocean. There is so much plastic pollution in the ocean. And m many fish are now ingesting plastic that we are, end up eating ourselves. So I have um, become a, a flexitarian, more heavy on the, on the plant uh, consumption these days. Is this plastic thing true, that every fish in the ocean now has plastic inside it somewhere? I don't know if every fish in the ocean, but studies show that a significant proportion from 30% to 70% of uh, species in, in different areas have consumed plastic, yes. And in also the species that filter the water for a living, like sea, uh, oyster, for example, or mussels. I saw the Belgian citizens, I think they are eating a lot of uh, microplastic with their fries these days. <laughs> Poor old Belgians. Not often you hear that. So, you know, I mean, look, is this time, is it too late now to do anything? Or are we, are we going to get where you want us to be? That is never too late. Um, you know, there, there, we have no option. We either choose to live in a planet or choose our kids to live in a planet that we will not like or get to work. And what gives me hope is that when we give nature space and time, she comes back spectacularly. Nature has this extraordinary ability to bounce back. I've seen it with my own eyes. You know, when I was watching those documentaries by Jacques Cousteau on TV, I was fascinated by the abundance of marine life. But when I went swimming in the Mediterranean Sea, there was nothing there. Nothing. Sea urchins and, and fish that were smaller than, than my little uh, snorkeling mask. Um, but then I, one day, when I got my diving license, I dove in the Medas Islands Marine Reserve, an area that had been close to fishing for a few years. And oh my God, I still remember the first time I 
got my head underwater, it was like I had dived into a Jacques Cousteau show. Everything, everything that was missing from the, the Dead Sea of my childhood was there. And it took only a few years for all these big fish, the sea brims, the big groupers. And that would scare any, any little kids because they are larger than, you know, they get up to 1.2 meters long. They are massive. They are so wonderful and curious. So there I thought, wow, if this is happening here, this is probably what we could have seen everywhere before we destroyed everything. So there is hope. And we have been working with my project, the National Geographic Pristine Project that I I developed, I found it in 2008 after realizing when I was a professor at the university that I was just writing the obituary of the ocean. So I decided to do something about it. And we started working with governments and local communities and fishing communities to help create these protected areas around the ocean. And it's been fantastic. You protect an area and the marine life comes back. And when the fish come back, the divers come in, which helps to create new jobs and tourism and it brings much more economic benefits to the communities. And then the fishermen, after some reluctance and I would say strong opposition in the beginning, then they want expansion of these reserves because they, they love them. That's why you call your book or your campaign The Nature of Nature. Exactly. If we, if we can understand how nature works, we would... You know, if we respect it and, and let nature do her job, we would make our lives much easier. Because you, know, you hear that, oh, we are, you know, Elon Musk is uh, going to give a $1 million prize to whoever invents um, a machine to suck the carbon from the atmosphere. You know, and I was tempted to send a, an application saying, oh, I got the machine, you know, and send a photo of a tree. You were going to send him a photograph of the oceans? Of the tree or of the oceans, exactly. Look, you know, we have it. Give me the million dollars so we can use it to get some place protected. Enric, um, how is Britain doing in this? Britain is uh, one of the chairs of something called the High Ambition Coalition for Nature. That's a group of now 60 countries plus the European Commission that support the, a target of 30% of the planet, land and sea, protected by 2030. Ambition costs and, uh, nothing. How much would that cost? Well, that's the thing that some people say we cannot afford to protect more of nature. But actually, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's the wrong question. Is we could really not afford not to do it because today we spend less on protection of nature than we spend on ice cream. Even though. Nature is our life support system. Without nature, there will be no life. You know, there is no nobody's in, in the moon or Mars. Um, and then if we were able to create this network of protected areas on the land, 30% of the land and 30% of the ocean, the cost, we released an economic report uh, last year suggesting that it would cost on average $140 billion per year. Well, you might think, wow, that's a lot of money, but wait. Because this is just a fraction of the subsidies, of the money that governments use to subsidize the activities that destroy our life support system. And $140 billion per year is less than what the world spends today on video games. Not only that, but also 
we know that for every dollar that we invest in nature, we get a huge return. So the benefits would far away the cost. In the US, for example, every dollar that the government invests in the management of national parks produces $10 in economic output that go to, to private hands. So a world with a 30% of the land and the ocean protected would have a much greater uh, economic output than, than business as usual, that's for sure. Would you like to live in that 30%? That's the world I want to live in. This is why I spend my entire life, even when I'm dreaming, uh, working with communities and governments to make sure that we save whatever wild is left and help to restore much of what we have degraded. Enric, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It was a real privilege to talk with you. Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Well, there you are. Enric Sala, National Geographic Explorer in Residence. I may have to ban you from listening if you don't want his job. Next week, we have Salman Rushdie, who famously was in one of the Bridget Jones movies. But hey, we all make mistakes. He's also, though, a brilliant writer. Should be a good one. In the meantime, enjoy your return to the pub. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.